In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, you may remember a seminary intern that we had here a couple of summers ago. His name was Ben Hankinson. Uh, He's a priest now in Illinois. And I uh, asked him towards the end of his summer here uh, what he had found most surprising about the Advent. And without blinking... He said, the consistency of the gospel message. And and what he was saying was it was not just from the pulpit, but in fact that the gospel message is the driver behind every class, every program, and is the heartbeat of every staff member here at the Advent. And he was right. The gospel of God's amazing grace to sinners is the primary DNA of the Advent. And so if every program and every sermon... Uh, is centered on the gospel, then that has to include a sermon uh, like this one. It's tempting to get up here and recount just the great memories and tell funny stories and go on about how much we love you, because we do. But Andrew didn't ask me to get up here and blubber. He said I could wait till the dean's class for that. Um, But he asked me to preach. And to preach is not to proclaim how much I love you, but to proclaim how much God loves you. And to proclaim the means by which God has loved you. And so if years from now, someone here thinks, I don't remember that guy's name, but I remember he told me about Jesus. This will be an effective last sermon. So we, we turn to that end, we turn our attention to the passage uh, from the letter to the Hebrews. And specifically, we want to look at the second half of verse 26, where the author writes, But as it is, He has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. That is an extraordinary summary of the gospel message. He has appeared once for all. It's just to say that God appeared in history for everyone in history. At the end of the age, which is the the end of the age of the law of Moses. To put away sin. The central problem between God and humanity is that unholy people cannot have a relationship with a perfect and holy God. And Jesus came with the very purpose of solving that problem by the sacrifice of Himself. The means by which He would put away sin is by willingly and intentionally offering Himself on the cross as a sacrifice given on our behalf to appease His own judgment. So that for all who trust in His grace, our sin may no longer separate us from His great love. That is a message that can get the church in trouble. That He appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Now the church does not get into trouble when we talk about some really good things. Things like feeding the hungry, defending the weak, housing the homeless, 
taking care of the environment. All those, and I can go on and on with with the list of really good things that Christians can and should engage in. But you don't have to be Christian to do those things or even to care about those things. And so we we engage the world around us. We don't get into trouble for that. It's, It's palatable. We are on the same page. And that's probably why in many corners the the church has made those things primary. What is so difficult for the watching world to understand is that for Christians, the motivation beneath the external issues of justice is an extraordinary story of injustice. And it's not just, it's not just difficult to grasp, but, but it can be infuriating to think that an innocent man was murdered to appease the judgment of God so that guilty sinners could go free. It's a story that has been called unconscionable, immoral, It's what gets the church in trouble. It's either the idea that we are guilty of sin, which is a very unfashionable uh, idea, or that God would judge us for it, because surely He's nicer than that. Or that God would set guilty persons free by the death of an innocent man. It's what gets the church in trouble. That He appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. It is offensive and we can understand its offense until we get three key points. And the first is that the innocent one who was offered to appease the judgment of God was in fact God Himself. And second, that He offered Himself willingly and with a heart of love to forgive the guilty. And the third is the kicker. It's the one that that drops the other two really into place. And that is that you and I, we are among the guilty who are in need of that forgiveness. He's appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And I can remember a time, even as a Christian, when I used to bristle at the idea that I was a sinner. Without actually articulating it in this way, I tried to be good enough to impress God so that I would not be in need of His forgiveness. I imagined myself like Job. Have you seen my man Job? But <laughs> sounded sort of the same. And that just made my secret persistent sin that much more frustrating, devastating, and depressing. But graciously, the Lord, through some very wise counsel, patient counsel, helped me to see that the doctrine of sin was actually a great mercy. It finally explained both the unshakable persistence of my sins and my unwillingness to accept and receive His grace. And finally, And I realized that I was like everybody else among the guilty that needed to be set free and that Jesus' cross had made that forgiveness possible. I was free. 
And I still try to take that freedom back or give that freedom back sometimes. But what I saw was that my work was like a slice of Swiss cheese, just sort of soft and full of holes. But His work, His finished work on the cross was full and sturdy and strong and lasting. He appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. The story is told of a wicked 22-year-old British sailor who on May 21st, 1748, was awoken in his hammock as salt water rushed into his room through a gaping hole in the ship's wall. Now this sailor was widely known because of his cold, stone-cold heart and his mouth that made other sailors blush. As he would go around capturing Africans to be sold into slavery, he pursued every vice, and he made it his constant business to draw others down into his own earthly pursuits. But now a savage storm was tossing his ship to and fro, and the waves had ripped off the upper timbers of uh, of one side of the boat. And this wretched young man jumped half-naked from his bed, knee-deep in seawater, It really mattered little that he couldn't swim because they were weeks away from the nearest coastline, even under the best circumstances. As he bailed water from his room with a mop bucket, it became clear to him that he was unlikely to live, and yet he was unfit to die. Overcome with the futility of his efforts to save himself and the nearness of his own death, young John Newton blurted out, If this will not do, the Lord have mercy on us. The name of the Lord from his own lips, spoken with sincere desperation rather than with the usual blasphemy, startled young John Newton even more than the raging sea. His hard heart was pierced as if through an air, with an arrow. And he was immediately humbled and broken as he cried out for mercy for the first time in many years, realizing that the God who stood to judge him was the only one who could save him. As he pitched water into the dark night, he could hardly imagine his life continuing, continuing yet uh, let alone spiritually thriving. And yet the gracious Lord heard Newton's cries and miraculously they survived and the ship ship did not sink. As the tattered ship limped its way back to port, barely afloat, John Newton realized the broken ship was a picture of his own spiritual condition. But Newton's heart was changed. The old was gone, the new was come. And though he was never formally trained, Newton would, of course, become the very antithesis of his pre-Christian self, becoming a pastor, encouraging many out of the very vices that he had once so diligently pursued and encouraged. Fighting for justice alongside William Wilberforce, seeking the abolition of the very slave trade that had once made him wealthy. And along the way, pinning some of the greatest 
and most familiar words in the English language still today, words that you and I just sang at the top of our lungs. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. John Newton's story is your story and my story. Because He appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Isn't it great that the author of Hebrews didn't say that He appeared to put away sinners? But He will. Our faith is not in Him. And in fact, if our faith is not in Him, that will be our choice. Jesus didn't appear to put away sinners. He appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. In his commentary on the Gospel of John, the great preacher James Montgomery Boyce wrote this. He said, It is only the crucified Christ dying in the place of sinners who saves. Jesus is not saying to us that if we will only follow His example and try to live as He lived, that we will find happiness in this life and salvation in the world to come. That is not His message. No one was ever saved by following Christ. Following is involved, of course. After we are saved, we are to follow Him. But we are not saved by His example. We are saved through faith in what He has done on the cross. And after that, we can follow Him. Jesus did not say, I will show you the way. He said, I am the way. The way to life. The way to freedom. The way to peace and joy is through the finished, saving work of Christ, the Son of God. On the cross, he appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. What a privilege! What a privilege it has been to serve in this place, to minister in this place, to be formed in this place, and now to be sent out by this place. It holds fast its primary DNA gospel of God's amazing grace thank you thank God Amen